Hi, I'm Fiona and you're listening to the Over the Fence podcast by Farmers for Climate Action. Today I'm talking to Nina O'Brien, the Disaster Resilience and Recovery Lead at the Foundation for Rural and Regional Renewal, or FRRR as it's more commonly known. Nina was raised in the Mallee Scrub of Western South Australia and today leads the Disaster Resilience and Recovery Team at FRRR. I'm going to be chatting with Nina about FRRR's recently released Heartbeat of Rural Australia study, which looks at how not-for-profits and community groups in remote, rural and regional Australia are faring in the wake of nearly two years of constant disruptions. We'll be discussing what resilience looks like on the ground and what farmers and farming communities can be doing today to prepare for future challenges, and that includes climate change. As always, don't forget to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to it. You can get in touch with us via email or over social media. Our email is info at farmersforclimateaction.org.au. Thank you so much for joining us, Nina. I wondered if we could have a chat before we get into the gritty detail of the research about you and where you've grown up and what led you to join FRRR and do the work that you're doing today. Maybe your listeners might, might not have heard. It's a tiny little country town uh, or locality, really, called Kynecutter in Western South Australia. Um, it's about six hours west of Adelaide. Um, oh, it's got about 12 people on a good day. Um, and so grew up on Broadacre, um, Mallee Scrub, uh, cereal growing country um, in that part of the world, about 12 inch in the old old school uh, rainfall. Um, so pretty what's considered marginal country. And I guess that's really um, informed my worldview really strongly um, in terms of the occupations that I've had uh, throughout my career. And, you know, both from the really fantastic value system that I think um, communities, people in communities like that, you know, instill in an, in an individual, but also climate experiences so you know the the really significant droughts of the late and this is showing my age the late uh, 80s early 90s um, in that part of the world um, gives you a very real um, experience and grounding in terms of what uh, climate impacts really mean and yes some of the impacts that has you know your family around you but also communities as well so I guess fast forward over time um, have lived and worked in regional communities in uh, northern South Australia so I worked I started my career working in cultural development, working in Port Augusta, some fantastic Aboriginal communities running an art gallery of all things, working up into the far north of South Australia, sensational, beautiful part of the world into the Flinders Ranges, you know, getting caught. I just noticed the Beltana Creek was flooding this week and, you know, one of my career highlights working in the Flinders was getting caught at that same creek when the waters come down and quite by chance met my husband at an arts conference in Albury, National Arts Conference. Um, he was on his footy trip that, you know, everyone sounds quite hilarious when I tell them that story. Um, so ended up living and working in the Riverina of New South Wales. And so here I am, uh, you know, 20 odd years later, working for the Foundation for Rural and Regional Renewal, after working with regional communities throughout the River and Murray region, and now across into Victoria, um, and now nationally as well. So what's the focus of your role at FRRR? So I lead the team of staff, programs and initiatives that support regional communities right across Australia to respond to natural disasters, but to build their community resilience into the future. So we do that through a really wide variety uh, of means. We've just come to the natural conclusion of supporting drought impacted communities across uh, from the 2018-19 drought. So we're just starting to evaluate that project now. Uh, we've supported, you know, 420 odd projects to the tune of $15 million across Australia. So a significant body of work and learning um, and insights into what 
makes communities tick. Over the 20-year history of FRRR, we've also supported bushfires, floods, significant storms, um, cyclones, all of the various weather impacts that impact regional communities to both respond in the short term, but also to recover in the long term. We take a medium to long term approach to supporting communities. So while others, and particularly governments in particular, will be there in the short term and respond, you know, within that sort of one to three year time period, we take a particular position in that it's actually from that period through to often up to 10, 12 years later that communities are still needing support to rebuild their capacity, um, knowledge and understanding and defining um, a way future for them. So diverse and interesting range of work. The last 12 months has seen us really busy as we transition out of drought recovery um, into building drought resilience through the um, Future Drought Fund. And so we're mid-flight in delivering that program at the moment. So that's been really fantastic opportunities to work alongside communities to start to sort of shift their peripheral view from, you know, a recovery perspective into, okay, how are we going to do things better? Um, How are we going to be more prepared into the future? So that's been and continues to be a really exciting area of growth for us. What's a really tangible example you can give of what that kind of work looks like on the ground? So we've just funded... So in the first round, we supported about 30 um, odd projects. By the time we deliver this first tranche of funding of $4 million, there'll be around 90 to 100 odd projects, and they're really diverse. They range from community-based infrastructure um, through to building skills and capacity. So it can be informal training, but it can be just generalised projects that build collaboration and networks within communities. So we're funding a lot of events, uh, farm field days, really diverse and interesting ways for communities communities to come together to build their connections and share information, bring specialist, you know, knowledge holders into their communities and be more prepared in the future, but do that in a collective way. So there's been a couple of projects you've been involved in in the last while that would be of interest to our listeners, I believe. Are you able to take us through those? Certainly. So one of the things that we've been really interested in, and so we, we chat to community organisations, and it's, I have to say it's a great highlight of our role of working at FRRR is chatting to such interesting and diverse people on a day-to-day basis on the phone from right across, you know, some of the most interesting parts of Australia. And we've been broadly really interested in how they're faring. So ever um, listening to their anecdotal feedback Um, But in order for us as a foundation to speak, you know, collectively on their behalf and with, you know, some degree of merit, we undertook a Heartbeat of Australia survey uh, just last September, October, in order to really gather their feedback in a consistent and meaningful way so we can convey what some of those needs are and indeed to um, really critically look at some of our internal systems and processes and see how we can be doing better for communities as well. So broadly in terms of how they're travelling, it challenged Um, but in a really diverse and uh, now cumulative way across Australia. So what the the survey told us was that before COVID, nearly half of all the organisations were impacted in some way by either drought or fire or flood or mouse plagues or cyclones. And just drought alone, there was 50% of organisations that had been impacted by drought. And I find that really interesting when drought has dropped from the national sort of rhetoric and conversation around how communities, uh, you know, what communities issues are for regional, you know, towns and localities. But then, of course, we know COVID, you know, hit all communities and through the various lockdowns and their reduced ability to connect, um, that meant significantly increased stress. So, um, you know, 95% of 
respondents we spoke to were impacted by COVID in some way or another. So really no one was unaffected in broad terms. One of the things that's been most challenging for communities is their ability to uh, plan ahead and to plan ahead for important things like fundraising. And so things like, uh, you know, the local race meeting, for instance, it's not just the race club's inability to raise funds. Often their annual events for the whole region where that one event supports the other five little tiny community groups in the region as well. So it's the PNC, it's the childcare group, it's Rotary, it's all of those tiny groups that has that sort of flow on effect as well. And now, you know, this is the third year that communities are looking down the barrel of not being able to undertake that fundraising. And so to some extent, that's where FRR step in and support, you know, their ability to keep going and um, we're really flexible with our systems and supports and processes to enable you know that really critical community activity to occur. One of the things that I found really interesting coming from a remote part of the world is that the fatigue, so community fatigue is significant in the volunteer ranks in particular, um, is that that was amplified by remoteness. And so we know that from communities that are already pretty challenged um, by virtue of their geographical status, that was amplified by the COVID lockdowns. And so some, you know, you would ordinarily think you would be better if you were living in a more remote locality by virtue of COVID, but it's not necessarily the case. One of the other things that we've always known, but was, I think, really amplified by COVID has been the digital divide of regional people and communities. And this has been really amplified um, both through their skills and abilities to participate digitally, um, but also the infrastructure that underpins that. So, you know, in some instances, community groups have not been able to function by virtue of their poor activity or just their skills weren't, when I either didn't have the, you know, iPads and things to um, connect and um, digitally continue with their work. However, you know, like all things in life, there's there's always an upshot. And so um, what the survey also told us is that communities are just largely resilient and they do have a deep care for their fellow community members. One of the things that I've observed both in the community where I live, but, you know, broadly in the communities that I track elsewhere professionally, um, is the greater focus on the importance of local community, the importance on social connection, and, and the importance of the organisations and infrastructure that support that. So I think while historically that's always sat silently in the background and assumed, well, those supports will be there when I when I will need to access those types of things, it's suddenly come into you know, people's periphery and it's front and centre of, no, actually, these are really critical, um, particularly when you need to access them yourselves. One of the really fantastic things we've also seen is um, community organisations that have been able to adapt and evolve and do their, you know, undertake their services and support or ways of um, interacting with each other really differently. And so, you know, that's been a really positive thing that will now continue into the future. And broadly, look, I think our overall sense is that there is a real sense of hope um, and that everything will be okay. It's certainly the pandemic, you know, continues to be interesting, I think, and it continues to have a long tail, but, uh, you know, there really is hope. And certainly in our interactions with our recent program delivery is that there is real appetite for communities to get back and get connected and get in amongst it. Um, whatever that looks and feels like is that's really amplified people's need to do that, which is a really positive thing. Do you think people feel comfortable doing that now or are they going to be waiting a bit longer? It varies. It's really localised. And so as an organisation, we have 
taken the you know all bets are off type approach and we just ask like we will work with community where they're at and when when they want to do things and on what terms and so it's been a really great exercise for us i mean we always try to be flexible and responsive and all those things um, but it's really challenged us in a really great way as an organisation to just absolutely not plan for anything and just see how people are going um, and then plan accordingly. And then sometimes replan in a week or a fortnight or a month because things change so quickly. But there's there's just that underlying sense of perseverance and ability to move forward, even if it's inching forward in whatever way that communities can so what does resilience mean for farming communities in Australia? What does a resilient community look like? That's such an interesting question, is it? And it depends on who you ask and in what context you're asking it. And it's something that we've spent much time at FRR, um, you know, talking about. And, and I'm also super conscious of being careful about using the word resilience as well, because I think to suggest that um, you need to build resilience, it may well infer that there's a deficiency to start with. And that's absolutely not the case with regional communities. And, you know, the regional community, people and communities where I live and uh, where I've worked historically are the most resilient, skillful, adaptive you know, fantastic people that I've ever met and worked with. It's actually one of the reasons why I work in this, you know, line of work. But if I think about, and if I, you know, draw on our uh, research that we've been undertaking with the University of Sydney through our disaster resilient future building, uh, future resilient uh, work and the literature reviews that we've undertaken um, twice now, both with the Torrens Resilience Institute uh, but also the University of Sydney. They agree there's no real single commonly agreed definition of community resilience, although um, there are a number of common themes. And so this is it sits really closely in alignment with what we observe within communities. You know, we think about it as an ability to prepare for, withstand or and absorb disruptions arising from not only disasters, but also other emergency events or um, un unintended um, impacts. It's an ability to adapt to changing conditions. Sometimes they're physical, sometimes they're social, can be a major um, economic change in a community. Um, it's an ability to recover from and continue to function and maintain self-sufficiency while under stress as well. And while often it's articulated as ability to build back better, we don't necessarily strongly subscribe to that. Really, it's an ability to improve, it, to build back in a different way, but to improve over time and learn from previous experiences and you know, maintain vitality into the future. Do you have an example of a really resilient community you've come across and what that looked like? Not necessarily an individual community, but if we think about uh, tenants or, you know, uh, underpinnings of what a resilient community looks like, and this is also something that we've covered in the research, and while it is covered off in our, there's a summer report on the FRR website, if people are interested, they can jump on and have a look, but what we've been exploring both in New South Wales and we continue to explore in Victoria is what are those dimensions of resilience. We perceive that to be communities that do well have access to and participate in decision making that affects them. Communities do well are the ones that have good resources, tools and support so they're able to be self-sufficient. Communities that are inclusive and take care of people that have less skills, resources and or abilities to manage the climate event or unexpected impact. Communities that do well can communicate effectively and in a way that is useful to a broad cross-section of the community. 
they also have an ability to participate in how that communication is created and shared by other people that vary significantly across communities. What I'm always truly impressed by, and frankly in awe, some communities, the Shepparton community is a fantastic example of this, are the ones that have self-organising systems. They don't wait for the cavalry or the government to turn up. They're well prepared ahead of time and they know who, with and how to activate their resources to support you know, their neighbour, their street, um, their community. The communities that do well have effective access to accurate information and the, the ability to share that in a really useful and meaningful way. You know, I think I live in a cross-border community, for instance. So during COVID, one of the really tricky things has been navigating you know, the two state systems about what the restrictions are and where you can travel and where you can't and are your kids going to school or not or you know, so many facets. One of the most meaningful access you know, sources of information for me and, and my peer group um, has been community Facebook pages. And I think um, many communities, COVID has been a fantastic example of that, how communities have really galvanised. And, uh, you know, to me, that's self-organisation in real time and have been really positive thing. Governments, for instance, either local, state or federal, wouldn't have a prayer of actually being able to resource or activate in that time frame and to that level of effectiveness. And finally, one of the sort of dimensions of resilience that um, we've observed strongly and it goes to our, our work in drought resilience as well is that communities that do well have strong networks that can be utilised quickly and very effectively and that are able to work collaboratively and have existing relationships with other sectors and levels of government. They're the types of things that we have observed both through our granting, but also now our research. And so it's that philosophy that we take into our future grant um, programs that we're designing, um, but also our place-based work that we're undertaking across Victoria and exploring in other parts of Australia as well. That's the sort of underpinning philosophy and evidence base that we use to um, approach communities. So rural Australia and farmers and farming communities are already starting to feel the impacts of climate change. So more frequent and severe extreme weather events, hotter days, the list goes on. What does your research tell us about responding to these challenges now and into the future? I think it's things like communities that will continue to build their knowledge about climate and share that with others around them will be very well prepared. I think there's real opportunities for communities to question the status quo and um, have greater access to climate-based information. I think there's a real opportunity for communities to be really creative in our thinking and start to reimagine what different futures might look like, um, depending on what those climate impacts might look like. In some instances, you know, I've lived in an um, irrigation community for 10 years, I think in some instances it's reimagining what that future might look like and letting go of what might have been for the past 50 years and then thinking about what a different future might look like. I think there's also a real opportunity for people to think both on an individual level but also collectively. There's, there's no doubt about it. Communities that have individuals that step up and play a role are thriving. You know, as individuals within communities, that's a responsibility and a challenge for all of us um, in a really fantastic way. Um, so I'd encourage anyone to, and, and everyone to participate in their own local community because, you know, the reality is that communities that strengthen their collective skills, and knowledge and capacity and connections and infrastructure now will be super well prepared 
for the next challenge down the track, whatever that might look like. Um, and it's a case of not waiting for it to happen and then wondering what you're going to do about it. It's actually getting on the front foot and doing it now. I think regional communities have always done that to a really positive extent. It just feels like the rate of change is increasing. And so we'll need to adapt our approach to that increased rate of change. And so it's not um, necessarily waiting on someone and relying on other people to do it for us. Certainly not governments. Governments really play a really important and valued role. But I think there's a real opportunity for communities to step up and take a lead, be well informed um, and get on the front foot with many of these challenges. Ask questions, you know, play a part. It's really what we see is um, communities that do well. They have those, you know, lively, active individuals doing all of those things. So say pretending now I'm a, you know, I'm a farmer out from Broken Hill and I'm listening and thinking, what should, what can I do now? What should I do now with my community? What would be, you know, the most important step they could take at this point? I think one of the challenges actually of living in regional Australia is that it's actually so diverse everywhere. So what you can actually do is actually really diverse too. But I'd encourage, you know, as an individual, get interested, get informed and get active. Um, and that might sound like a really tacky cliche, but really like truly to goodness that the communities that thrive are thriving by virtue of the individuals that are playing a collective role within that community so you know look at what your local land care is doing you know look at what your like is there like farms of climate action group near you um what's your local rotary doing you know what's your local cwa doing is your progress association what are they up to get active and get interested in local government and start to understand how how the decisions they make are impacting your life you know but make yourself known to your local member you know start thinking and talking and talking to others at the pub you know it can be really simple in terms of um, thinking about what's impacting you now but then what might um, impact you in the future. What are the strengths of farmers farming in rural communities when challenges or disasters occur? Yeah look great question um, I think uh, it's a capacity for people and communities to care for each other in a really deep and meaningful way, both both at an individual but at a collective level as well. Um, I think it's an, what I observe is an, it's an ability to act collectively without question um, in a really super like fast way. It's an ability, it's an agility actually to galvanise resources when required. I'm in awe of communities that can organise things like in a flash when they need to um, in, in a just such deeply impressed way. Uh, it's about communities that have uh, excellent self-organising systems, so an, an agility but also a silent knowledge base that sits within communities that's not often recognised um, but always activated and galvanised, um, you know, um, in times of need. I think it's an ability to access and share information quickly and in, in efficiently and often really informal but super practical ways um, that I think government in particular have a lot to learn from. And ultimately, I think it's um, this deep tenacity um, to keep persevering. And so regional Australia has had, you know, just so much chucked at them, you know, in the last 12 months, 12 or 18 months in particular. Um, but there's this deep um, tenacity for people to persevere. Um, and I think um, as our population trends continue to shift in um, a, both a positive and challenging way for regional Australia, the, the future's really bright and exciting. Um, and there's much to be hopeful uh, and look forward to, I think. 
Fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing this time with us. Such interesting insights. And I look forward to speaking further about how our communities do recover over the next few months and years and what more we can do to support their resilience because they are incredible. Thanks so much, Nina. And I will leave it there. Lovely to chat.